I'm good. Getting ready for this next one. Yeah, what are we talking about? So on this episode, we are continuing our conversation from the last episode to talk about how we became friends. Are you ready to dive in? Sure, let's do it. So my first memory of us actually meeting, like I, I had heard about you because you were in LA and I was in New York, but we came together for a work event for young people. And I was facilitating a, a group of those students with another colleague who had to go do something else. And so you came in and co-facilitated with me. And we hadn't really ever met or something, but I think instantly I knew, like I just loved your energy and, and, um, and we'll probably get into this more, but like the part of me that didn't have a lot of friends growing up instantly knew I just wanted you to like me. And, um, and so the part that you might not remember, I don't know if I've even ever told you this, is um, so the way we usually set up a space, or I used to always set up a space for facilitation is in a horseshoe style and then like stand up in front of the room. And so, but we wanted, you and I wanted to sit down because we were, it was actually going to be the students talking, they were just prompting them. And so I pulled up two chairs and it was still in a horseshoe and then we were kind of at the apex in the front of the room and you moved your chair to be part of the horseshoe. And I was like, Oh, so I was left there and I was like, Oh, do you want to, and you were like, well, I just feel like we should be part of the community. In in my head, I was like, well then just say that. So you don't leave me here by myself as the white man who looks like I need to lead this group. I remember being so annoyed in that moment. It took me the whole, it took me like weeks to every time I thought of it, I was like, just tell me. But it, I know in retrospect, it's because I was embarrassed that I didn't have that thought myself about power dynamics and about sharing the space. And to me, it felt so passive aggressive. <laughs> so that's my first. So I have this conflicting, like, I want her to like me, but I don't know if I like her. <laughs> so that's my Eva <laughs> introduction to Eva. <laughs> actually have no memory I how convenient <laughs> I, well, I don't even remember us co-facilitating a workshop but I have a vague memory of that and I yeah somebody got sick right and then I pinch it at the last minute kind of thing well, they, they had to go do like some donor meeting oh right 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 <laughs> so just so you know um I can't really feel sorry for something I don't really remember. Um, and that tickles me. And I just want you to know, I probably slept fine. <laughs> Even though you were shooting daggers at me, possibly. I'll tell you what my first memory. So my first memory was like um, being on one of those planning calls, right? Um, wait, wait, can, I, can I just acknowledge how I'm feeling? I feel nervous. Why? What, your first memory? <laughs> okay, go. Sorry. So, like, my first memory is being, like, on one of those national calls. Yeah. And, um, and um, your supervisor is a very quiet person, demeanor person. Right. And 
I am probably couldn't be more different. <laughs> <laughs> I and, think we've established that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but like, I'm oh, like when we were on those calls, I was always like, can we just keep it casual? I mean, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it, it got, it, those calls could be so formal and um, stiff. Yeah. And so I'm always down with like a joke or two or whatever. And you made a couple of jokes or two. And I was like cracking up in my office. I was like, thank God, this is not going to be like stiff. So I was just like, oh, cool. You know, like insert named, like she hired somebody with the, with the little sass. I was like, yay. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that was like my um, first, like, thinking of you and like I guess we never met but um you know when you do work and you have to do right. a national like phone call kind of work or um did even did like zoom even zoom didn't exist then oh, right no. oh no we were doing comp just listening conference calls yeah so like I you know I had to insert a picture you know like what this right 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 education and um my so like my hearkening of your image was like sassy queer white boy love it right <laughs> like do you know what i mean and i'm like yeah so i guess in some ways i was like oh great at least he gets it right i mean relative yeah, yeah, yeah. to the other people in the organization uh -huh. i was like oh cool at least he gets it yeah i guess over time we've known maybe a little bit but yeah <laughs> i want to acknowledge as you sh share that story that I'm thinking back, like, do I remember you on the calls before we actually met in person? And it's something, this is just an acknowledgement. I mean, you can definitely react to it, but how often I don't pay attention to anything that isn't directly impacting me. Hmm. Like, I think I spend, this is something I'm aware of, so I'm, I'm trying to be better. I think this, us doing this is part of my wanting to be more empathetic and be a better listener, like hearing, not just listening to say my next thing. And that's something I got. I, well, I'm not gonna blame anybody, that's me. And you know, I can do better. But when you say that, I'm like, makes me sad that I don't remember, remember you from the calls. Yeah. I think in that whenever that was that I was facilitating with you, I think um, it was, you know, I find some of those like group spaces to be a little bit stressful because it's just like too many people, too, too many, um, I don't know, just an expectation to like do education for this long period of time. Right. And um, although I'm a friendly person, I'm also an introvert that needs my own time. So like those spaces right. had, had uh, traditionally been stressful because of the expectation or like, like that one expectation that I would co-facilitate and then have the energy to do the other parts of the work, which was like, you know, corral the students and to like do other kind of work related things. Like people wanted to unpack feelings at the end of the of the day and i was just like can we not can at we like 11 o'clock and like read it later like you know so um but i think the next year um i think you and i co-hosted or did something like that That's, i don't think it was the, i think it was two years later i almost forgot about that 
And I remember that being so fun because then we were, I don't know what the heck we were doing, but we were running around shooting videos. Oh, I completely forgot. I have to find those videos where, because we had asked the students to do videos and we set up this station, but when it wasn't being used and we were bored, we would just go in there and talk shit, (laughs) make shit up. Right. About people like some, one of our colleagues who was the nicest person were like, oh my gosh, she's such a bitch. Right. Like we were cracking ourselves up. We went real world confessional, (laughs) right? We were doing the right conference confessionals. We should have turned that into real world DC (laughs) or Crystal City. I mean, I think I all the emotion that was that that are, is always about this this work, but particularly about the work we were doing at the conference, right? Like, could turn so heavy, and I think that um, you know, there's there's an, there's a benefit to being able to just be silly in the moment, and I feel like I feel like you have always been that person, always ready to go silly. Right. In a moment, right? And right. so I've always appreciated that right. uh, about you. Um, you know, even though we're really super different, right? Like you are a logistics detailed person yeah. and I could do it, but I hate every bit of it. So I'm more than happy to be like, oh, look, Jason's taking notes. Go for it. <laughs> Thank God, right? Because, oh my God, squirrel, right? So like, that's, you know, that's me, right? <laughs> Well, that's the thing about doing this podcast. You and I are realizing, like, we're starting to figure out our strengths as a friend, as friends, if we're working together, because I think that works really well. Yeah. Um, Because having two people, people who are not my friends are people who also want to do the details. (laughs) Because I'm like, I got it. I have figured everything out in my head. Although I'm not proud of that. I try to take the space. But like that's another like white supremacy thing that I've grown really well into, like really adopted. Right. I, I also feel like there's a little bit of it where it's just like, yes, um, definitely white supremacy norm, culture. Uh, and I've always, um, to whatever extent is necessary, like, you know, it's hard when it's a measurement held to everybody, right? And I am not predisposed to the details. I like thinking about the details, but I also like keeping it loose. Um, so I've always kind of excelled. Well, I've also, I've all, always been willing to provide feedback or to share what it is that I'm thinking after somebody has made the agenda, right? Like, you know, like I always feel like it's okay. We could just cross that out. <laughs> no, that's all right. Like hit another bullet. There's this point, other point, and like so, people white. Let's just say white people will get mad at me because because of that. But I'm just like, just because you wrote it down, right, doesn't mean it's a thing. Like we're still in relationship about the thing, um, which is the reason why. Like I, I'm not ceding power to the the person who f- does the first draft. Yeah. And so that's so funny you say that. And I'm like, intellectually, I know that's how it should be. And yeah, I often do first drafts because I work better when there's something. But there's always an emotional part of me who's like, motherfucker, what do you think you know about what I just spent 
two days putting to, you know, like, mm -hmm. I shouldn't, I don't know who's listening, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's just me recognizing that got some work to do there. And I want to say too, when we say white supremacy for anybody, especially white people who are listening, we're like lowercase w, lowercase s. That's right. I'm not talking about KKK hoods, things like that. We're just talking, there's a great, if, if you're listening and want to understand it better, I don't know if this is the first thing you should read, but it's something, it's the characteristics of white supremacy culture that really helped me understand my behaviors. Um, and it is by Tema Kuhn, is that how you say it? And Kenneth Jones, you can just Google it. Go, go look at those, I think it's 13 characteristics. Yeah, um, and what's interesting about that article is that Tema Okun's a white lady. So I think some people are like, oh. I, I literally, until this very moment, <laughs> your visualization of me, my visualization was like, um, like an indigenous, <laughs> warrior that was all-knowing that's really what I thought sorry I'm embarrassed that's all right everybody I'm sure reads Temo like sees Temo Kuhn and then like thinks of like a like Morgan Freeman that's exactly what I thought mythical kind of um you know my 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 husband calls that person the mystical negro right like and it's just like you know like where you always have people of color like um her name is not Annalise Keaton that's her name Viola Davis in like oh, in whatever that movie was with the white lady who wrote the thing about the 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 cleaners I don't know the help the help right like so there's yeah. you know, people who are subordinate but far more wise in which white people seek out the wisdom um but yeah so Tema Okun but I I you know like for me though like these spaces have always been about me figuring out a space and a lane from which to operate in my best way, but mm -hmm. navigating whiteness, right? And so like, that's the reason why over the years, I just grow, like even though we can have the expectation that, you know, I'm writing down notes and I have good penmanship and, you know, um, or I can type really well and keep up, but it has always been really hard for me to listen deeply and and do this work right. so i can hear folks listening jason and i used to do anti-bias education right so it was like the diversity work the inclusion work that began in the 90s for us like for this organization and you know we're joining this work in the like late 2000s 2010s kind of er yeah. kind of realm yeah. um and um and so the, how that work evolves, right? Like this organization that we worked in kind of centered around anti-bias education to kind of speak to the value and importance of diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, and how that relates to bullying and cyberbullying and just other uh, things and trying to grow that work in, in lots of different spaces, spaces, but especially schools. And so we had the great um, fortune um, or I had the great fortune at some point in my career to work with Jason and a lot of great people um, at this organization. Um, but the but the funny part about it is um, how structural ideas around whiteness and race yeah. was a teaspoon deep and a mile long. Yeah. All shade intended. 
Yeah, and, and as I hear you describe the work we did, it makes me wonder how we've come to today where we're trying to develop an, a real friendship. How we've known each other for almost 10 years and we do this work for a living. And like I'm doing my own work to unpack my, my whiteness and, and stuff. You do this work, you're doing your own reflection and all of that. And yet it's taking us, it's taking us to deliberately say, and actually I think it's, it's comes from you being able to, to call me uh, in, I really think you're calling me in, um, to recognize, to name maybe the, the non-authenticness of what I maybe assumed, not maybe, totally assumed. Although, you know, in prep for this first conversation, I was thinking, I always had a sinking feeling that there was something that wasn't real, not from my end. Like, so like I can have that piece. I think I have intuition. Like my mother does healing touch and Reiki and she does like long distance work. She's totally connected to the universe. And, and she's, told, she's told me like, you have it. And in those moments, in reflection, not in the moment, I don't necessarily know it in the moment, at least not with us. But looking back, I, I know that I felt always there was something. And so we're here because you named it. Yeah. But it's interesting to me that 10 years of two people who do this work, it took 10 years to say, oh, this isn't a real friendship necessarily, but we want it to be. Yeah. And, you know, it, it has taken me leaving that place to recognize and to think about and unpack. And as you described aptly, how healing from this space, all the things that I needed to do to survive the space. Right. When I was so connected with right. the spirit of the work, I recognize, I always recognize the limitations of the work, right? I always recognize that the hypocrisy organizationally, right? But what I didn't, what I didn't center was what happened to me in the process of surviving that race. And then how like that ripple um, continues to um, limit the capacity for this work to really take root in the ways that I had always dreamt that they, it would. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was always, it always felt like um, it was um, powerful enough to create sparks, but not ever powerful enough to create the flames that burns the things down that is oppression. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And yeah, it does. This feels like a whole episode, like unpacking the, yeah, it does. That, that's an example of you just said a lot that I need to go. And I'm so glad we're recording now. Yeah. <laughs> I can just rewind and be like, wait, what did she say? Um, so it's not just my interpretation of it. I could actually go back and hear your words. But um, 
I do like that idea of the spark. What I was going to say, and a lot of the work we did in that organization was interpersonal work. And I, this is interpersonal work. Um, but there's the like burning down the systems, like you just said, I, I haven't figured out how the interpersonal work gets to the burning down systems, you know, and even just saying burning down systems, I can imagine some people listening, like that's <laughs> right. No, I mean, <laughs> and stop. <laughs> um, right. like, I mean, absent of actual change. Yeah. We're talking about tolerance. And, you know, and in 2020, if we're still talking about tolerance, like, you know, like we're running the clock for no good reason. But kind of just, if I can, if I can say that, I, I want to say that um, my emotional and spiritual bandwidth mm -hmm. for inviting true and authentic relationships with you has had ripples in every relationship sphere for me as a person of color in terms of uh, cynicism, um, fear, um, self-protection. And I feel like surviving the space as a person, uh, surviving a white space as a person of color has had has has put me in a position where I've had to have nimble and adept facility with surviving tactics that um, extends far beyond you, right? So it's a, it's a, it's about you, but it's also about systemic stuff and how being in a space like being in a white space is impact on people of color um and mine is just my you know mine because i'm sure like the experience of being black in a white dominant space is is for sure different you right. know there might be some similarities um but i feel like that's the value of us talking this out because i feel like it's going to provide further healing for me um and hopefully for you because we do have to heal from what these white supremacist institutions do to our capacity to relate as human beings. Yeah, that's in, I, all of that um, really just hit me. And it reminds me that white anti-racist organizing I do is we just hold space for white people to come together and have conversation. And we always say it's one piece to the puzzle. We're not saying conversation is the answer, but it's a space, I always think of it as a space where white people can come have their white fragility moments with each other. So we don't put that burden on the people of color in our lives. The thing that I recognize, and we have this, what we, it's like a preamble that we say every time before we start conversation. And the, there are three reasons why we get together. It's like three goals. And the last one is about recognizing our full humanity. Mm -hmm. That hit me because I, again, growing up where I did in, in the United States, um, just assumed everything I experienced was the norm and the ultimate, like the best and the, I mean, talk about privileges. I had so many. And yet the, doing this work made me realize how I literally, there are, 
half of the population I don't know how to be in relationship with. That means that I am not fully, I'm not at my full human capacity. Um, really, I don't know, did I ever tell you about how Bill and I, my husband Bill, um, we take pictures of everyone who comes into our apartment. Like even the guys in our building, staff who come and work, like fix the toilet, we will take a picture and we put them on our foyer wall. It's sweet and creepy, you know, right? You know, it's, it, it's sweet and creepy. And every time we tell people, now you have to go on the wall, they're like, oh, okay. And I didn't know I was going to do a photo shoot. But um, it's little, little square headshots. And he like, photo, they're black and white. They, everyone loves them because he makes them look fabulous. And um, when we started doing that, we might have had like 50 up there. And there were no people of color. And that was like, oh, shit. I don't, I think that's when I started being like, I, I know people, why aren't, I, why aren't they invited to our place? And then I realized, no, we're inviting them to our place. They're the ones who keep saying no. And that like, that started this whole thing. And I think that's, that's you and I having this conversation. I was like primed for you to be like, our friendship isn't that real for these reasons. And me being like, that doesn't surprise me because you're not on my wall. <laughs> right. You know, like, I mean, it seems silly to use that wall as the, the gauge, but it was an eye opener for me. It, it feels like um, a great way to, to do, to, to think critically. Um, Cause that's only one marker, but like, that seems like an important one. And like, I've always been raised to think like your friends are not those people that you know in the streets, so to speak. It's those people who you invite around your family or that come to come to your side when you're sick, those kinds of things. Like my yeah. mom had always like sent um, clear messages about like who are who who should you call friends? Um, and that's like work that stuff that she had road she had paid before friendship, before Facebook right. defined who that friends were. Right. But what we're talking about really is but what she was talking about and what we're talking about is what authentic cross-racial friendships um, are. Should we come back and like unpack that? Let's unpack that. All right. So on the next episode, let's explore what it means to have an authentic cross-racial friendship. And let's talk about our fears of putting it out there. Authenticity yep. on public display in this podcast, Jason. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of I might That might be a long episode. Um, but thank you all for listening. Uh, please visit our In Pursuit of Cross-Racial Friendship Facebook page and leave comments and questions. Anything coming up for you, we want to explore them with you. So don't be shy. Any last thoughts? Nope. Let's do it together, though. Okay, see you next time.